0: Hey there, and thank you so much for listening to our big time talker podcast. We're everywhere now Spotify, Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, the Blog Talk Radio Network, courtesy of our friends at speakermatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a platform speaker or maybe you're a meeting planner and you need a speaker, you can connect with one another on the robust platform at speakermatch.com. How many of you have been to a Broadway show? Have you ever thought, what would it be like to see my name on the marquee or be in the footlights at the biggest stages in the world? Well, our guest today has done just that and a whole lot more. Charles Brown joins us from somewhere in North America on tour. Charles, thanks for being here. What an amazing career you've had. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) When you were a kid... Was this something that, that you dreamed about? I mean, where, where did all this take place? It actually was. It became my first real dream was
1: to be on Broadway. I, um, I grew up singing in church, so I've always had a love for music from a very early age. Um, but in the eighth grade, I um, got into the San Diego School of Creative and Performing Arts. Now, at that time, the school was fourth through twelfth grade, so I had I was on the waiting list for like three or four years, and I finally got in in middle school. And um, the very first semester, I cast in my first, you know, uh, main stage musical where the whole school can audition, and that was a production of the musical Annie. And I will never forget the feeling I had just sitting in that theater and being introduced to the likes of Broadway theater. And being on stage, performing in that way, I was bit by the bug, and I am still suffering all the symptoms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Charles Brown is our guest today. He's a member of this incredible touring group called the doo Project. We're going to talk about, uh, as well as does a, a solo show called Smokey and Me. It's his tribute to Smokey Robinson, we portrayed in, in Motown the Musical. So you grew up then in San Diego. Um, were your parents uh, or your siblings involved in music or theater at all? How did this come to be?
1: Yeah, so my my um, parents are not that musical. However, my dad um, did have his own little acapella group um, because, you know, he was coming of age when Duop was first coming out. So I did have that history and love of music in my family. And my my mother sings in the church choir. I don't think that she would ever consider herself to be professional, but she does lend her voice to songs um, when it's in a choral, you know, group. Right. And my grandmother, my grandma mother, though, did have a pretty voice and she sang in, in the uh, church choir as well. So we were musical in that sense. Um, but, you know, music is a big part of the Afri- African-American culture, and so I just grew up with music around the house and in the car all the time.
0: You know, I uh, I get out, all and, and speak to school kids a lot, and if I'm in a school system where it's predominantly African-American kids, and and you ask, you know, a, a classroom of 30 elementary school kids what they want to do, uh, 25 of them will say they want to be in the NBA. Uh, not mm-hmm. a lot of them will say, oh, you know, I want to be uh, in theater or music. But, but there's a small group, of course, that, that that's their passion. And, you know, that's, right. There is no other backup plan. Were you as a kid, um, uh, were you ostracized by the other kids? Were you encouraged by the other kids? And, and I guess what I'm trying to get a sense of is, is what you might say to the parents of a young person who are, are listening to the show right now, and their kids are raising their hands saying, you know, I want to be in the creative arts. So what's
1: interesting about my story is that I actually come from a very athletic family. My father to this day is actually a high school football coach um, at Morris high school in uh, San Diego, California. Both okay. of my brothers played high school ball. They were star. Um, they were stars at their universities and they both were in training camp, even uh, professionally in the NFL with the chargers as walk-ons. So I was expected to sort of be an athlete myself, but uh, my parents always supported me from day one. The minute I decided that I wanted to do theater, and I realized that I had a talent in it. So, I, the best advice I would have for parents is to just support your kids, and to you know find a way to pay for the dance lessons that they need, and the you know the vocal coaching that they might ask for, and put them in the you know the theater camps if you can, because. It really does enrich a child's life to to be involved with the arts, even if they don't end up wanting to do it professionally, you haven't you know wasted your money having a um, an education in the arts actually makes you a more sympathetic and empathetic person. it just makes you a better citizen and um, it made me a better student, which is often the case too. All the people that I was you know doing theater with growing up were great students as well, which is you know the other side of it. Um, but to answer your the first part of that question. I was very lucky that I didn't I wasn't ostracized um, because I went to a, a performing arts school starting right. in middle school, which are some right. tough years, you know. So, I, you know, I actually had the flip side of that. I really got to have the experience of being like the high school athlete, <laughs> if you will, because the main um, export from our school was the arts.
0: That's fantastic. Charles Brown is our guest today. Um, he is a Tony Award nominee uh broadway star <laughs> now touring in the duot project I, I probably should ease up on the accolades you may not be able to get through the door with your head unless you turn it sideways uh but an amazingly talented cat and uh so you're going to this performing arts high school in san diego but that's quite a leap to broadway so what happens after high school
1: well yes yeah, so, yeah it's quite a jump right all the way across the entire country that's right um, I, after high school, I um, went to the University of Southern California, USC in LA, fight on if there's any Trojans listening. <laughs> um, no Trojans. Yeah. Um, and I got a degree in theater from the University of Southern California. And um, within the year after I graduated, I was very fortunate to get cast in uh, my first big time musical, which was um, the European tour of the musical Hair. Nice. And, that really gave me, you know, a very precious moment in life. Uh, we toured for like two and a half years. We toured eight different countries in Europe. Um, and we I really got to see the world and get paid to do it and, you know, live in some great places that I wouldn't have been able to afford to live, you know, on my own at that time. Um, and I made some lifelong friends from that experience too. Half of our cast was from LA, uh, which is where I was still living after graduating from school. And then the other half was from New York. So you know, finally for the first time doing the eight shows a week and you know traipsing through the snow in in Berlin, Germany, uh for the first time trying to make it to the stage door on time for a half hour, I I realized that I actually could do this and I, you know, the mystery was gone. I felt like it was something I could pursue and I could actually live in the cold weather. Cause mind you, I'm from San Diego, California, and we don't do no snow, you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the blood is thin for Charles Brown. Yes.
1: So I had to build up my, my skin. And I, you know, I did that. I, I always called that tour my, my master's program, because I really got to learn, you know, on the job, what actually it takes to do eight shows a week. And I'll have, you know, for the whole two and a half years, I never missed one performance. I never called out
0: well so, played
1: um, it, that gave me the confidence though to, to move to new york and it gave me a little bit of a support system too um so i moved to new york finally after that concluded and i've been there ever since
0: Charles brown is our guest today he's part of the doo project also does an incredible show called smoky and me that uh, tours performing arts centers all over america he's a broadway veteran Um, and, and so when you were in at this performing arts school in San Diego as a high school kid, and then you go to college, uh, you know, university of Southern California, you must have been surrounded by other really, really talented kids. And I I wonder if, if looking back on it, were you the most talented, were you middle of the pack? What, what is it that, that separated you out from those other folks?
1: Um, when I was at, when I was, at, well, first of all, shout out to my buddy Stark Sands, who is my my best friend to this day, and is a two time Tony Award nominee. Um, for our, he, his, he was last nominated for Kinky Boots on Broadway. Um, you know, I was around other very talented kids, a lot of which have gone on to do some great things, and um, but yes, I, I did stand out for sure. I grad our senior year of college. Um, Stark and I actually got to do the leading roles in Pippin he was uh, Pippin and I was the leading player and so I do think that I got to really shine at USC which was great but the program there is incredible I actually sit on um, they so I got a degree in theater uh, but they did not have a musical theater program and they just will this year have the senior class of their very first BFA in musical theater which I sit on the board for the advisory board for um, so USC was one of the greatest times of my life, and they have a great education there.
0: Were there any other, uh, you know, folks that the, whose names we might recognize that you went to school with? You know, you, you're looking across the, the classroom, and there's a young, you know, budding Brad Pitt in in the desk next to you. Any of those folks?
1: <laughs> um, the the other name I can come up with is uh, my friend James Snyder, who was a uh, crybaby. He was an if then on Broadway, and wow. there have been a lot of you know a lot of working actors. Uh, who just consistently are working on TV and film, who you may not know their name, but you've seen their faces, I'll
0: say. Charles Brown is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast, brought to you by Speaker Match. He is a Tony Award nominee for Motown the Musical. And uh, and so you find yourself in New York after uh, doing this two-and-a-half-year uh, tour of hair all over Europe, so, you know, Charles, there's that famous drifter song on Broadway and you find yourself on Broadway trying to make it. Did, did you have any of those starving artist moments there?
2: I've had many starving artist moments. Um, first of all, though, I got to sing that song for the first time um, in Smoky Joe's Cafe last summer at the Muni, uh, the largest theater in um, the continental United States, which is in St. Louis to are uh, reopening from the pandemic. So it was a great moment for for me and I got to sing that song. Just had a shout very out, cool. out real quick.
0: Very cool. Uh,
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, I did I did have those moments. I was a cater waiter for, you know, very many years and I was pounding the pavements trying to make it onto Broadway. I got to see some really, you know, nice parties and nice homes that I would never have seen otherwise really get a feel for new york city so i think you know those days really helps me to get to navigate the city as well as going on all the auditions running around the city like we used to do which i hope is, is not just a relic of the past but um you know we haven't really bounced back from that aspect of auditioning fully you know yet but yeah i i definitely paid my dues in new york city at first but i was happy to do so
0: what was the the weirdest or worst job you had to do just to put food on the table
2: Oh, wow. Um, let's see. I've done a lot of odd jobs. I, I, um, I've i had to – one time there, – so there's this – you know, there's a radio show that will go unnamed because I think you're supposed to think that people are real, where you call in and have, you know, a dispute with your partner or, um, you you know, talk about something awful that happened to you, and um, you have to call in and they pay you to for, to be one of the people calling into the radio station. <laughs> Out, you know, the scenario that they've created.
0: <laughs> so it's like reality TV on the radio. It's not really real. Like, ah, I got you. You're pulling back yeah, the fourth yeah, curtain.
2: Exactly. <laughs> uh huh. There you go. There
0: Charles you go. Brown is our guest today. We're talking about his rise to uh, to becoming a Tony Award nominee in Motown the Musical, and what he's doing now with the Dewott Project on tour all over America, as well as the show Smokey and Me. Um, so you said earlier you got your confidence when you did that European tour of hair, but do you remember the very first Broadway audition that you did and and what that was like? Could you paint that picture for us?
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you know, I guess my first, the, the first Broadway auditioning, you know, process, we'll say that I remember is, was actually, ironically, I was still living in LA at the time, but I you know was uh, and I, I was auditioning for and kept getting called back for rent. Um, back when it was on Broadway, and I just I remember you know all the times that I that they called me back for that. I never did it on Broadway, but I auditioned quite a bit.
0: <laughs> and and you said that auditions uh, haven't really come back in New York City yet. Do you guys do most of your auditions now uh, via Zoom as opposed to in person? Is that what you mean by that?
2: I, yep, I will say that nine times out of ten, it's me and my ring light in my living room. <laughs> wow, auditioning for a show, and I've even booked work from my living room. Uh, I booked a commercial uh, from my living room. I've had call Zoom callbacks. Um, I, you know, there have been times where I've had callbacks in person, but you know, those have been few, few and far between. Still,
0: how do you how do you make that in person connection? with someone when they're just on the other end of a screen somewhere. I I would think that would be really hard when, when you're really trying to demonstrate what you can do.
2: Yeah. Especially in theater. You know, the the answer is, Berg, unfortunately you don't. um, But I just think that it's something that the industry has, you know, needed to, uh, needed to sacrifice. um, And still, you know, to be safe, It's, it's the safest measure, but I will say it's not the best way to cast,
0: theater i don't
2: think and so um that's why a lot have have started moving back to having in-person you know uh, you know not first meetings generally but like callbacks at least because you you have you have to meet someone in the room if they're going to be doing live theater um so i I enjoy when those happen now because they're a treat but you know it doesn't the chemistry isn't the same and so i feel like we unfortunately we've all suffered a little bit from that
0: Charles Brown is our guest today. He's a, a working actor, musician, and you've done as well as the Broadway stuff. You've done some other really cool, high-profile things. I've read about anyway, if I've got all this right. You did uh, Jersey Boys in Las Vegas for a run. What was that like? Yeah.
2: Well, you know, for me, I'm I grew up in San Diego, as I said before, and um, while I was in high school, my brother went to the University of Utah, which is where he plays uh, football. And so we would often drive, and we'd stop in Las Vegas. And so, and, you know, don't forget, this is before the What Happens in Vegas, Stays in Vegas campaign right. moved. Came, came about to move back in the 90s when they were trying to make it a family-friendly family, family friendly place So yes. you bring your kids. So, like, all those places opened up amusement parks and things. So, you know, I used to go to Vegas all the time, and I so I really was invested in um, the Las Vegas trip. I mean, Las Vegas is the entertainment capital of the world. We think of L.A. and New York, but um, there are more sh- entertainers, and there's more entertainment per capita there than anywhere else. So to not only get to perform on the Las Vegas Strip for a year um, in Jersey Boys, but it also was the number one show on the Strip at that time for the whole year I was there. So it was a great time to be in, in that show on the Las Vegas Strip, and it was a unique time because uh, since then, they've, they don't really do the Broadway shows on the strip like they were doing at that time.
0: And you've also toured with a lot of shows. You talked about hair in Europe. You did a, a tour with the whiz. Uh, you are the scarecrow in, in, in the whiz. How is it different when you sit down in a theater like you did in, in Las Vegas for Jersey boys or, or in, in, you know, New York on uh, Motown, the musical as opposed to taking a show on the road. What are the differences for, for those of us that don't uh, do what you do for a living kind of paint the picture of, of, One versus the other? Well,
2: taking the show on the road is a challenge. Oftentimes, it depends. You know, the higher-end touring, you'll sit down in a city for, like, maybe five weeks or so. um, In other times, like we did um, in the European Tour of Hair, when we were touring Italy, we did one-nighters. So that was you wake up, um, you check out the hotel, you get on the bus, you're on the bus for, you know, God knows how long. Could be four hours, could be five, six, seven. And you uh, try and get some sleep. You try not to lose your mind. You stop and get some lunch. You pull into a town, and generally, especially in Italy, um, there would be no food available because they'd be on siesta. So we have to wait for an hour or so until the restaurant's open, try and grab some food, get back to the hotel, get showered and changed and go do a show. Try and sleep it off. Well, let's be honest, go out and party that
0: night. <laughs> Aha, the truth comes out.
2: <laughs> the truth comes out. Then try and get some rest or, you know, you can sleep on the bus the next morning and, you know, wash, rinse, repeat.
0: So that doesn't sound quite as glamorous as people might think when they think about, you know, the the, uh, the showbiz lifestyle. It sounds like it actually can be pretty tough, pretty grueling.
2: It can be pretty grueling, and right now, you know, on tour with the Duo Project, we have some pretty grueling schedules. Just because we always do one-nighters, it's, it's very—we don't ever do. It's very rare that we play the same place, you know, two nights in a row, unless, of course, it's with the symphony. That's generally the only time that happens. So, oftentimes, we're waking up and doing that one-nighter schedule, but one of us is driving the van, uh, driving the van that we all are in. So. We're you know we're driving, we're navigating, we're you know trying not to argue with one another. <laughs> we get backstage, we're trying to have some peace and quiet for a couple of hours, do a sound check. Then you try to eat, eat the food, and then you go on stage. If you're lucky, you drive back to the hotel that's in that town that night. If you're unlucky, like some shows we have coming up, you drive a couple hours out of town to the towards the next gig, and you wake up the next morning and drive a couple more hours to the next gig and do it again. So yeah, it, it's. It's tough, but, you know, we're built strong. You got to be built strong in this business because it's not all luxury and glamour. You're not flying on private airplanes all the time. You know, not everyone. That's not the career that most of us have.
0: And, and what about the other side of it? When, when you were on Broadway and you were in Sister Act or Jersey Boys, when you did that on Broadway or Motown the Musical, and you go to the theater, you do how many shows a week on average?
2: So, every 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 uh, show does eight shows a week, and um, you know, oftentimes, or start twice or three times a week, depending on your schedule, you'll have two shows in a day. And the eight shows a week is not easy either, because you're on an off schedule. If you have any friends that aren't in the show business, or if you're in a relationship with someone who isn't in show business, you never see them <laughs> because you you know, my day, I'd, I'd wake up. In the afternoon, um, and then I would try and have a, some office hours, we'll say, do some correspondence or go to an audition, you know, in the afternoon, and then try and get to the gym and get to the show, and, you know, and then you're up until later at night because you're you know still wired from the show. And you do that six days a week. You only get one day off, and that day is usually Monday. So you can't, you know, you miss everyone's weddings and funerals and baby showers and, you know, everything else. Um, and you're, you're sort of chained To the Broadway schedule, it's a hard schedule, but again, it's what I dreamed of, and I was, you know, I'm very appreciative when I get to do it. But it does take the soldier version of myself to be able to pull that off, and you know, because you have to sing live as well, and you know, to the top of your ability every single day, um, sometimes twice a day, and that that's also challenging. So your off time is also a part of the work because you have to be constantly thinking about your instrument, which is your voice and your body. And so you can't really just be off in your off time either.
0: How do you do that? How do you preserve your voice? You know, when you're singing those high falsettos, those Smokey Robinson parts, eight times a week, how do you keep from totally blowing out your voice? You know, it all comes
2: back to technique, really. I think um, I've been lucky enough to have been doing this, like I said, since the eighth grade. So I've developed, you know, what works for myself and my voice. And um, of course, I've studied the voice, and I have studied theater long enough to understand about breath support and all the different tools that an, an actor and a vocalist can use to make sure that your voice isn't being strained um, and, and maintains its health, and, um, you know, part of my warm-up, though, it's like a ritual for me, is I go to the gym before every performance, if, you know, with the Do-I Project, with Smokey and me, if I'm in doing a sh- show on Broadway or in the theater, I will go to the gym before the show because at a very early age, when I was in the eighth grade, my um, choral music teacher uh, taught us that if your body is warmed up, your voice should be warmed up. So it's not, you know, to each his own. Everyone has their own process. For me, though, it's just to get my heart pumping and my blood flowing um, and my breath support there so that I can maintain my voice and sing properly and not strain to get notes out. And it's about placement, too, which is another thing. Um, vocal term
0: and what does that mean exactly
2: it just means where you you know high notes especially means like where you place them in your in your face the way they resonate coming out of your mouth there you know people can make all sorts of sounds um but there's a healthy way to make sounds and then there's an unhealthy way to make sounds and so you try to do things that are sustainable so that you can do it eight times a week you don't want you know if you don't want to do like growls or things that are going to strip your voice um because
0: that will, you know, won't allow you to do it eight times in a row. Things so like guys that. like uh, uh, James Brown or, or other great soul singers, uh, you know, Eddie Kendricks, or David Ruffin is a good example. Uh, uh, how, how did they do that? How uh, will you talk about the growl on a repeated basis yeah. without just, uh, you know, destroying your voice?
2: Well, we just called that a good old thing, sanctified church growl. <laughs> 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 Some people just have the natural ability to have that sort of texture in their voice every time they sing, and it sounds like there's there will be blood at the end of it. Yes. Yeah, it's just the way that we sing their whole life, and it's you know it's just part of what their voice can do. Some people have that that blessing. Um, others of us do not. So uh, I, I can't put that sort of stank on every every time I sing something. But if I'm in, if I'm in the recording studio then I can, you know, but to do a show on Broadway, you have to be mindful of those sort of things um, as to not wear out your voice.
0: Charles Brown is our guest today on the big time talker podcast, part of the do Wop project you've probably seen their TV special on PBS nationwide. He's also part of the show, Smokey and me. Uh, he's a touring musician and a Broadway veteran. So when you do these live theatrical productions, there are no do overs. There are no retakes like you have in television and the movies. Oh no. <laughs> so, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you about uh something that went sideways when you were on stage and how you recover from it. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you had a wardrobe malfunction where the scenery fell down behind you. What what is the the, the most cringeworthy thing that's happened to you in live theater?
2: Well, there are two that come to mind. One, okay. one we had to stop. One we had to stop the show for because if there was a safety issue. One we did not. So the first one I can think of is when I was doing a production of Dream Dreamgirls down in San Diego um, at uh, at San Diego Musical Theater, and um, opening night, a huge tower fell onto the stage in the middle of one of my songs that <laughs> came very close to 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 taking me out. It fell just inches from, from me, and I, of course, didn't see it coming because I was facing the audience. They all saw it coming. My parents, who were in the audience, all of a sudden were very close to the stage,
0: <laughs> 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 and I didn't know
2: why. <laughs> and I, I turn around, and there's an entire set piece on, on the floor. So that's one thing that happened. We, we didn't get to continue that time. The, um, but one very um, disgusting thing that happened, we'll say, uh, is during Old Town the Musical... While um, I was doing the song shop around, uh, let me just paint the picture a little bit. Broadway theaters are notoriously unclean, and I don't think that during the pandemic that they necessarily took the time to to make them much cleaner than they you know are, you know than they do. <laughs> so <laughs> this, let's, let's start with that. Um, there was a flood the night before this particular incident in our theater, the the, um, the lunt Fontaine on Broadway. And the co- the costumes are all stored um, in the basement. I did a quick change. And put, I put on, you know, a uh, my jacket to perform the song "Shop Around." And while I'm singing, there is a little roach that appears from the inside of my jacket, uh, and is running up my jacket oh, while no. I'm singing. Stop around, and I had to keep going. I tried to, I, I tried to flick it away. I tried to work it into the choreography as best I could. My choreographer, who was there that night, did give me praise for not missing a step, and yet he could tell that I was that something was happening. I was trying to do something. Um. So yeah, I had to share the stage with a roach on my costume.
0: Wow. I mean, that's
2: probably the worst thing that's happened.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh. You know, there's probably some special Broadway award that should come to you for that.
2: I would hope so. Especially since, you know, I didn't freak out. I had to maintain my composure and stay in, in the in the song and in the character. But man, oh man, I, you know, being a human, trying to get through those things are hard.
0: <laughs> so you portray <laughs> Smokey Robinson in Motown the Musical, and then you get the call that you've been nominated for a Tony Award for that. What goes through your mind?
2: Oh God! Well, Bert, I was actually watching the nominations live on uh, on TV when they announced them, and I can remember like it was yesterday. It's a, it was like it was surreal. I they said my name, my my headshot showed up on the screen, and I I felt like the everything paused around the world, like the whole world stopped, and I was floating in this moment. I was like, I cannot believe this is really happening. I felt like maybe I didn't, I wasn't fully awake and I was still, you know, I was like, I'm going to be really mad. <laughs> and this was something I just dreamed up, but it was, it was real. And then, you know, my, my phone started ringing nonstop off the hook with people trying to congratulate me and call me. And it was just, it became one of the most incredible experiences of my entire career. Of course.
0: When, when something like that happens um, to you, do you feel, like you deserve it? Do you feel like that can't be right? Uh, I mean, I, I can't even wrap my head around what what that must feel like.
2: So here's the thing. Uh, all, there are so many incredible, I have so many incredible colleagues who do such incredible work eight times a week, pounding the pavement, you know, going through what we go through as actors um, and, and are not... Nominated for Tony Awards every single time they do that, or sometimes at all. So, you know, but that being said, I know the work that I put into the show and into creating the character. I know how um, well I was doing at what I set out to do, which was to portray him um, as closely as possible, which still bringing, you know, my acting abilities to the table. And, um, uh, I just was really appreciative of the fact that my hard work was being recognized because, mind you, it's not just the hard work of being in the show. It's almost a validation of all the hard work I had done and the sacrifices I had made in my career up until that point, which people don't know, there's no overnight successes. It, when someone is, you know has become successful, there's gen, usually decades of work that someone has put in, decades of sacrifice and having to miss out on um, being a real human um, and, if, you know, celebrating things, love and loss and marriages with your family um, so that you could be on stage. And so it was something that I was like, oh, thank God I, I made the right choices in my life to go into this line of work because, you know, it's it's very testing and every other week I want to quit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it, just, it just won't let, you know, it doesn't let me go. It's, it's in my soul and in my heart. And so to be validated like that by my peers and by my industry, um, it, it, I truly knew what it meant, though, when they say it's an honor to be nominated because so many people go throughout their careers doing brilliant work and are not or are much later in their careers in life. And so it, it was a much-needed confidence boost, and it also was a validating uh, moment in my life. And I, you know, was, I'm still to this day just cannot believe that that happened. I wasn't expecting it to happen. I was like, there's no way. It was my first you know lead role on Broadway. I was like, there's no way they're gonna nominate me. Um, and sure enough, they did.
0: When you do these musicals, for you personally, is it harder to to learn uh the songs? Is it harder to learn the dialogue? Is it tougher to learn the dance steps? I mean, there's a lot of memorization that goes into something like this, it's a mind-blowing amount or someone uh, who just comes and, and we see the end product, right? We see this, this two hour show, right. with great sound and lights and, and movement. But uh, what, what is the toughest part for you to, 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 get down? You know,
2: the, the, the thing I struggle with is lyrics. I will say, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure why, um, but that, that's where I, that's the hardest thing for me to get exact, you know, at, at first, of course, like I said before, I've been doing this for so long now. You know, I have a technique and I have a way that I go about learning all those things. So they're not necessarily um, challenging. You know, music, though, can be challenging depending on, the you know, the writer and the orchestrator and what the music that they've created and the time that you have to learn it. You know, so often as actors, we are just shortchanged with our time. Um, and the prep and the preparation work that we need for our process. and we always have you know generally we always we often have to make shortcuts, especially for auditions or if you're doing something like a reading or something that just isn't you know giving you the full time to sit with the music and learn it because the more time the more time you have with something, the more you know it. I'll say. So for me, the challenge is learning the right words to sing. I am good at, however, making up a rhyme on the spot that makes sense. <laughs>
0: well, there the may not be the right words. You know, it's good to have a sidelight. You may be able to, to hustle up some extra money on a street corner doing that, you know, if you need to.
2: Right, exactly.
0: Our guest is a uh, Broadway veteran, Charles Brown, part of the Duwop Project. Visit him at dowopproject.com. They're on tour all over America, and they have a public broadcasting TV special airing all across the USA as well. Um, and also, he portrays Smokey Robinson in Smokey and Me, uh, a role he originated uh, on Broadway, and I want to ask you about that a little bit. Um, you're you're playing a real guy in in yeah. Motown the Musical. You played a real guy in Jersey Boys, as opposed to uh, you know a fictional character like you did in Sister Act or some of the other shows. Uh, Hair is there extra pressure when it's a real guy, and especially Motown the Musical, where Smokey Robinson had some skin in the game and I understand, you know, he was actually in the audience on opening night. So does that make you sweat just a little bit more? Oh no, it was easy. (laughs) Yes. Of course. Ah. It's nerve wracking.
2: (laughs) I can't even imagine. Um, Yeah. It's just not only that, but like on opening night, not just Smokey Robinson was there, but Diana Ross and Stevie wonder and Gladys Knight. And you know, everyone who had worked at Motown, they were all there. So, it's not, Smokey is a very gracious and wonderful man, and, you know, so I don't expect for him to necessarily have any negative criticism that he'd at least say to my, to my face. However, people all have opinions, and so not only do these other people who were there know him, but people have been his, fans of his since the 60s, and so, you know, if they're fans of of music like I am with my artists. You know, so there's a lot to live up to when the person is a real person that you can be compared to and someone who is as beloved and as unique as Smokey Robinson.
0: If, um, you said everyone has an opinion. Whose opinion yes. matters to Charles Brown, though?
2: Um, as an actor, my job is to portray the story that the producer and the director have set forth. And, you know, I take my direction and my notes from them only from my director only. Um, so, you know, it really matters that I am giving the performance that the director has in their vision. And so, and all the other criticism, you know, it, it matters to one's ego, but it doesn't quite matter. Um, in the long, in the, in the long run. So I really don't give much merit or weight to people's opinions. However, I also, you know, you don't want to disappoint your audience because they are the reason why you're on the stage is because the people who come and buy the tickets. So, right. you know, I, I want to be appreciated and to honor the legend that I am, um, you know, portrayed. So I just I just try and do my best whenever I'm on stage, and I try and be proud of what I've done.
0: Did it weird you out when you met Smokey Robinson for the first time? Because I'm sure you would you know, I, I'm guessing maybe I shouldn't be sure, but I'm guessing you watched a ton of video on him so that you could get his mannerisms oh, yeah. down. And, you know, you listen to all the Smokey Robinson and the miracles oh, uh, yeah. records. So, so did that kind of weird you out when the real cat shows up at your, your backstage door?
2: It was just surreal. It was really surreal. And I got the chance to meet him. Um, so before the Broadway production came about, we did two workshops of the show in the city Um, the second of which we had a presentation for just like, you know, excerpts from the forthcoming Broadway show, um, for the press basically and investors to come and see. And Smokey came to bat because Barry Gordy, who is Motown's founder, which, you know, Smokey Robinson basically co-founded with him. He was our producer, um, and book writer. So, um, and Smokey and he are best friends to this day. So, he came to check out his best friend's, you know, new project, which was about himself and his life and times at Motown Records. So he came before we had the, the full Broadway show to come see that presentation. Um, and we, I, I will never forget, um, we were going to do, uh, You Really Got a Hold on Me. And right before I was about to go out on stage to perform You Really Got a Hold on Me, which, um, in Motown the Musical comes out of a very dramatic scene, um, I was told that he was, that Smokey was there in the audience. Now, we were at a rehearsal at this point. This was before the presentation. And I was like, okay, Charles, this is what you are built for. You just got to go out there and do it. Mm-hmm. So I went out there, and I, I did it. And it, immediately after that, we took a break. Pokey came on the stage, and I got to meet him right then and there, right after performing as him. Uh, and it was surreal. I, I was like, I cannot believe that this moment is happening right now. And I'm just saying, you really got a hold on me. And here I am standing with the legendary
0: Sophie Robinson. What did he say to you, do you remember?
2: He was like, Good job, man. You know? That's <laughs> he, was, he, was like, <laughs> <laughs> he was he was very encouraging. He was very encouraging. And um, you know, eventually by he he would come to see the show. He came more than once by the time we finally got to Broadway, and whenever he would see me, he would say, Hey, me. <laughs>
0: oh, man. Hey, that's a
2: story i t- that's a story i tell in smokey and me
0: and and that the play that you developed uh smoky and me about your friendship that you've now developed with this this legendary guy you take that out uh, on tour i know you've got a show in in uh, massachusetts uh coming up this weekend uh in Pittsfield, but uh, that highlights the the smoky songs and then also some of your stuff. So how do you lay that show out? What what do people see when they come to see Smokey and Me?
2: So Smokey and Me is definitely a celebration of Smokey Robinson and his, you know, musical journey. So what I do is I take them on a walk down memory lane with semi, you know, semi-chronologically going through his hits and songs that have really inspired me. Um, and I the whole first act of Smokey Robinson music. I sort of tell about the history of Motown that I learned when working on the production and working so closely with uh, Mr. Gordy. Um, And I go throughout, you know, the Motown era. Um, And then the and me portion of the show, we get to focus on sort of my career and my journey to Broadway in the second act. Um, So I do some some great Broadway tunes that inspired me from shows that I've done throughout my career. But then I also, you know, tie it back into uh, the Smokey Robinson songs as well so there's some more smoky robinson tunes um, at the beginning and at the end of the second act as well
0: you know most people listening really- will know a lot of his songs but they may not know sort of the the behind the scenes stuff that he did at motown and he was pretty crucial in that label success far beyond his own music
2: Oh, yeah. What a lot of people don't realize is that Smokey Robinson not only was, you know, the front man for the Miracles and the lead singer, but he also was their number one songwriter or one of their number one songwriters for a very long time. And he, you know, he wrote Shop Around, which is um, their, the Miracles' first hit, which has Motown Records on the map. But also he wrote songs for the Supremes and for the Temptations, songs, little known songs like, you know, My Girl, for wow. example, which I do do in the show. And I talk, I, I talk about that, and so people are sometimes surprised to understand that he was the musical genius behind some of the songs that he didn't necessarily record, but that he wrote. And so it's really fun to get to, you know, um, show that side of how the music was made and how integral a part Smokey played into the Motown legacy.
0: And the, along with the, the Smokey and Me uh, show, you're also a part of this collective of. Former Broadway stars, uh, and you do this touring show that we talked about earlier, the Duwop Project. And I think this is fascinating as I've looked at the video for the Duwop Project and and seen snippets of the the PBS television special. But for people who are not familiar with the Duwop Project, can you sort of paint a picture of what that's all about and and what you guys are accomplishing there?
2: Yeah. So the Duwop Project is five guys who uh, we all met on Broadway during Jersey Boys. And at that time we were like, you know what? As a side hustle, we thought we would put together a vocal group so that we can, you know, when we're not working on shows we can go out and tour and put some food on our tables that didn't involve, you know, waiting tables necessarily, but we could actually go out and be performers
0: right. elsewhere.
2: Um, so we, we got together and when the group first started, I actually was a sub in the group and we, we made it, I became an official member back in 2014 when Motown the musical came along. Um, but uh, it's, Five Guys Who Do Jersey Boys, and then uh, Motown the Musical, and A Bronx Tale. So we all have, you know, very, um, we have very long resumes, each of us. Uh, we've all been on Broadway in multiple shows, and we're bringing the, the sound of those shows into our performance, and we thought we would just, you know, what what did it sound like? What what music inspired the artists like Smokey Robinson, like Frankie Valli, um, like Carol King? What, a, what kind of music were they listening to when they were growing up? And we... You know, we're like, oh, well, we should do duop. So that's how um, the duop genre became part of it. But then we knew that it was going to be more than just us, you know, recreating duop hits. There's there's a different spin we could put on things. Our bass man Dwayne came up with the term um, duopified, and so we also put a duop spin on pop songs and songs that we grew up listening to. Um, and imagine what they might have listened sounded like if. We were performing those songs back in the 50s and 60s. And then we also do duopify Broadway tunes because, of course, that's where we're from. Uh, that's where it all started for each of us as vocalists. and uh, you know, So it's, it's really a uh, love and a celebration of duop music and pop music in general and early rock and
0: roll. And the Duop Project's PBS television special is airing nationwide. If you want to find out uh, more about them, log on to duopproject.com. And, uh, and find out more and see Charles and, and his, uh, his four fellow singers and dancers touring all over America. The entire tour schedule is on their website, and they're coming to a performing arts center or a theater a festival somewhere near you, I'm sure. Um, one last question, Charles. What, what would you be doing if not for this? What was the backup plan for you?
2: Well, I didn't have a backup plan. <laughs> I, you know, I put all my chips in the same pot very early on. There's nothing else I think that I could do that would be um, fulfilling to me. Uh, I've, been a, I've been a natural entertainer, performer since as long as I can remember. And so I just went about my life trying to figure out a way to, to monetize that and to make that a career for myself. So, I, you know, I, I my degree is in theater all of my experiences is in theater. Um, and I feel like I'm going to just be trying to make it big until I die. If I don't.
0: (laughs) Well, what, you know, to, to play off that, what advice would you then give to someone who's listening who says, you know, gosh, I would really love to do what Charles Brown is doing. What, what's the first step? What do you do?
2: Oh boy. Well, the first step is to, um, become educated as much as you can in your craft. And that doesn't necessarily mean a formal education. Um, You know, there are plenty of people who are very successful, especially in the entertainment industry, who learn on the job and were fortunate enough to be given opportunities um, to learn on the job and, you know, being around people who are doing their craft. So for me, I, you know, I needed some structure. I, I grew up doing theater, like I said, in my performing arts high school, so that was great because I really got to perform um, and, you know, we were tasked with learning full-out Broadway shows, full choreography, sometimes from the original choreography um, and full-out blocking and staging. So I, that's some of the time that I put in. But then also going uh, to school at USC really gave me the formal education where I got to study and do my research um, on the, the composers and, you know, the choreographers and uh, the playwrights and all the different um, elements of the theater, um, which I think is really important. So I think to be a student of the theater is the most important thing in your mind. Not ne- You don't necessarily you know, have to pay to be a student, but to be read up on the theater, to be knowledgeable about things, it will help you in the long run and will help you to do this as a career. But also, too, I think it's to focus on what specifically it is that you are good at and that you want to do Um, And to train in that field. So, you know, or what you're not good at and and, uh, train in that. So, for example, I I was naturally a singer. Um, That came naturally to me, but acting and dancing, uh, dancing came naturally to me, but not, you know, formal theater dancing with choreography. So, I started taking dance lessons. Um, I started going to ballet class. I tell every student that I have the chance to meet whenever I do, you know, sort of master classes around the country, I'm like, Get to a ballet class now. It's the foundation of, all of, you know, theater dance especially, and it will help you throughout your life. I, you know, I don't like doing ballet, but I do have a, you know, I studied it for four years when I was in high school. Um, two times a week we had ballet class, and I really think that's paying off to this day because I, you know, can pick up choreography, I know dance terms, and I am easily easily hireable, to, to dance in a show that predominantly I sing in, if that makes any sense. So, you know, studying the areas you're not proficient in, um, but then also just follow your heart and your passion and focus your energy on that and, and don't give up on yourself. Um, and, and audition for as many things as you can and say yes to as much work as you can. Don't judge the work. Just go into the projects that you that people say yes to you back in and do your best.
0: Great advice, and it's uh, played out pretty well for you. You still having fun doing this?
2: You know, once I'm on the stage performing, yes. (laughs) I'm having the time of my life, an incredible time, which is why I still haven't been able to, (laughs) to quit the business because there's nothing like it. I mean, it's truly what I believe I was called to do. I think, you know, theater especially is reflective and, you know, can provide a catharsis for the audience members. It's also, I think we learned during the pandemic, there's nothing that can replace being in the same room with people at the same time and the audience experiencing it or vice versa. So um, it's, it's an ancient art form. It's, it's part of human nature. You know, all religion is, is, um, so is, uh, is rooted in theater ultimately because there's, you know, there's singing, there is people coming together, there's, uh, you know, someone speaking. In front of a, a group of people, it's it's in our it's in our blood. I think it's it's one of the most human things you can do, and um, so yeah. When I get when I get to do that, I have the time of my life being on stage and interacting with an audience or becoming a different person and living out you know the given circumstances as that person on stage for an audience, um, which is which is when it's still fun. The other stuff, the business side of it, uh, not always fun. Eh,
0: you take the good with the bad. <laughs> That's yeah, Charles Brown. Exactly. He's a, uh, an incredibly talented guy, a wonderful singer, dancer, and actor. You can see him with the Do Wop Project on tour all over the USA and in their PBS television special. Also keep an eye out for Smokey and me. And, Charles, if people want to find you online, what's the best place?
2: Um, the best place to find where the Do Project is going and, and uh, are going to be is project. .com. And if you want to know more about myself with Smokey and Me, um, you can go to my Facebook page, which is just Charles Brown. That always has all my information um, on there and how you can get tickets to my upcoming shows and the like.
0: Can't wait to see you in a theater soon. Charles Brown, thanks for being here today. Thank you. That is Charles Brown, Broadway vet and Tony Award nominee on the Big Time Talker podcast. Brought to you by SpeakerMatch.com. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Wherever you go, whatever you do today, make it a great day. Thanks for being here. Bye, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.